0: You're listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of SD Times. And now, here's Jacob Lukowitz, online and social media editor at SD Times.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast episode. Today, we're going to be talking about how overcomplicating development could potentially lead to developer burnout and about how it's important to have a product roadmap to succeed. With me today is Andy Boyle, engineering manager at Clockwise, the time management tool for teams. Welcome to the show. Great to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. Great. So to start off, would you like to introduce yourself a bit more and some of the work that you've done?
0: Yeah. So I, I've worked for a couple different organizations over the years, some startups, some media companies. I've worked as a journalist. Uh, I've done a bunch of different stuff, but my main focus has kind of been in back-end DevOps, infrastructure tooling, that sort of stuff. And at Clockwise, that's kind of one of my main focuses.
1: So, Sarv, are you seeing that that it's a common problem that companies have ego-driven development and this has kind of tended towards overcomplication?
0: Oh, 100%. Uh, I think you have a lot of very smart people who sometimes like to prove how very smart they are, mm-hmm. when sometimes the most smart way to solve a problem is actually the stupidest way or simplest mm-hmm. way. I really like stupid solutions because it usually means they're really easy to fix, Uh, The dumber, or excuse me, the more you can dumb down your solutions, oftentimes you're acquiring way less complexity. There's way less points of failure, and you're also kind of set up to be able to maintain it, uh, to add new things to it. What I've seen in my career is, especially younger developers, they feel like they have something to prove, and what they try to prove is by overcomplicating things. I did this a lot especially in the start of my career, I very much wanted to show that I was smart. Uh, and I would do that by over-complicating stuff immensely, like making it like, okay, it's gonna be this in, like super expansive app that we have to deploy to AWS, and we have to set up RDS, it has to have a database. You know, it, You have to have all these different layers. When actually, if you just made a simple Lambda function that runs in Python, that just does one thing, it solves your entire problem. Instead of building this massive level of architecture, we're now half of your job is keeping the architecture working. And I think that is something that uh, engineers learn as they get older is they don't want to spend as much time working on maintenance. Instead, you want to focus on actually solving problems. And ego-driven development, as I call it, is often focused on What's the fanciest way I can solve this problem? Mm-hmm. That's often not the best uh, use of developer time and also doesn't always solve the problem. What it sometimes does is it allows you to throw a couple new things on your resume mm-hmm. when you're going to look for a job in the future.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, and I imagine it makes it especially difficult for new developers that are you know, taking positions now that there's a high turnover rate. So are you seeing that this overcomplication is really trickling down?
0: Yeah. I mean, if if you show up to a job and it's this incredibly overly complicated app that someone set up because they were doing that sort of ego driven development, it's going to be really hard for you to figure out how the whole system works. Just to kind of mm-hmm. keep it all in your head starts to get really difficult, even if even if you just have kind of like function based teams or something like that. It's really hard just from the complexity standpoint to be able to understand that sort of stuff. And so that's why, especially when you often have more, um, as developers mature and they don't want to spend as much time on the maintenance, they do start to build stuff generally less from a place of ego and more from a place of how do we actually solve these problems? Because if I'm an engineer and if it takes me three months to be able to learn how our system works and make one change in the code, that's three months of basically wasted onboarding time, in my opinion, uh, and it means your system is probably too overly complicated. If you can get people to be able to be pushing in commits within a week, you're probably not doing ego-driven development. Now, I know that's not every company is able to do that because they might have really some level of complexity is required based off what they're doing. But you want to build this culture of you should be it should be so simple that a junior engineer can work on it. That's not a bad thing. Like That should hopefully give like a, a younger engineer or somebody who's less experienced with the tech stack that you're working on, it gives them a sense of confidence, which, again, helps to push yeah. against that burnout. Because sometimes burnout is actually just like, I'm terrified that I'm going to mess up at this job because everything's overly complicated.
1: Mm-hmm. So I, I've seen that there's a, a tendency for companies to use a lot more low code and no code tools. Uh, and I wonder if that's kind of a response to the overcomplication. The overuse of those tools does that have negative aspects as well.
0: Yeah, I, I think what happens a lot of times is companies turn to these because they don't often want to invest on the development side. Or what ends up happening is you kind of have like these cookie cutter looking products. Mm-hmm. You have a couple different or like, you know, a couple different folks who used something and they end up kind of solving the problems the exact same way. But now you're locked in. You're locked into this no low code solution. You are now wholly dependent on this company to make sure that they never have any issues. And even if you do have engineers on staff who might be able to augment some of this work, it's still sometimes kind of a black box how some of that stuff works. If instead your company knew how everything worked, you built your own infrastructure, your own code, all that stuff. You wouldn't be as beholden to this sort of black box mm-hmm. uh, that can become a pretty sticky business uh, problem. You know, it's like the bus problem. Like you're now wholly dependent on this low code solution and also that how they're solving problems will continue as your company grows. Yeah. And you could also get to a point where you're going to re-up in a year and they may go, hey, so we know your contract was this much. We're actually going to, you know, 10 exits. Because you're so dependent on us, uh, it'd be like it'd be a shame if something happened to your business. And well, and now you're kind of forced to use it because you were not investing on the developer uh, side to be able to actually solve your business needs. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes, like you kind of like you had suggested, that folks turn to this because of the complexity uh, around building uh, uh, building these kind of business solutions and in, in software. But I still think it's much better if you own your software you own your future in a lot of places they've given up owning their software and so they're kind of at the whims of whoever they're you know depending on and that's kind of hard to scale
1: Mm -hmm. i see uh and where would a a product roadmap fit into all this would it help with alleviating some of these issues
0: oh totally so product roadmaps are they're not perfect nothing is but what they do is they kind of give you a direction of focus. And I've, I've worked at places where, especially when you're kind of earlier in like a startup, everything's the same level of importance. Everything needs to be done immediately. Well, we, we kind of know that's not true, but it feels like that. There's this sense of urgency. Everything has to get done right now. And you're often like throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. The problem is after a while, if you have engineers who are at like 90% the entire time they're going to get burnt out. And if everything is the same level of priority in terms of it must get done right now, there is like no end in sight for that engineer. And they are basically seeing like, I'm going to be at redlining this entire time. Hmm. Now uh, I'm an, I'm an athlete uh, in that, like I run and lift weights. Uh, When you're an athlete, you do not do 90, 95% all the time. You're in the 60 to 70% that helps you to build the capacity to be able to occasionally have the 90% week. Mm-hmm. That is what helps you from burning out. Just like you, you might get hurt if you're always running as fast as you possibly can, you're gonna get some injuries. The same thing happens with engineers. I call like we're mental athletes in that regard. We also kind of need that downtime. And what a product roadmap gives you is that kind of distance. And if you think of it, it's like a training plan. Uh, I'm getting really sports metaphory here, but it oh, is the kind analogy. of like a training. No, I like it. Yeah, uh, it what it allows you to do is it kind of it lets you know, okay, around this time, like six weeks from now, we're going to have a busy week uh, because we're focused on getting this, this, and this done, which will allow us to do that busy week, and then we launch the new version of our product, forcing executives to have constraints allows them on the business side to focus on what is actually going to make us money, what's going to be sustainable in terms of revenue, and what are actually uh, uh, product and features that our customers want. Mm -hmm. And that allows you to have that focus because there's a lot of nice-to-haves. Like we want to do X, we want to do Y, but Z is what makes money and Z is what we should be building on. Uh, And if you have a product roadmap that is just having like I'm sorry, if you have no product roadmap, you have no sense of what's the most important things that you should be working on. Uh, In the past, I've worked at places where we've set up what we call product councils, where you basically got a lot of the executives in the room and you kind of made them duke it out in terms of what do they actually think is important. We'd be like, Mm -hmm. you have these six projects you want to do. You have time to do two. Tell us Mm -hmm. which two you want and then put them in order. And that's really hard. Because they sometimes forget that they're resource constrained, but you can achieve a lot when you set boundaries uh in terms of resources and how to get stuff done.
1: Yeah. You gotta always never forget to do leg day. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. A product a product
0: roadmap is is leg and core work.
1: Right. So you've worked at a variety of large companies before. Are you seeing that uh, they're effective in implementing these kinds of product product roadmaps or are they still kind of falling into tendencies of overcomplication?
0: They tend to if you do not have strong product leaders who oftentimes need to be at like a same operational like C-suite level as uh, uh, engineering side or business side. Uh, that can help prevent that because I mean, if you have, you know, like a, a VP of engineering, but no CTO and you have a president of the company who's in charge of all business operations and the president, uh, doesn't believe in roadmaps or, uh, uh, is constantly changing direction in terms of what you should be working on. It's going to be really hard for that VP of eng to focus their side. Same thing. If you have a head of product, uh, they're going to kind of having to be jumping all over the place, but if you have you know, somebody who is in charge of some of those longer term business decisions is at the same operational level as like a CTO or a chief product officer or something like that. Well, now they're all kind of similarly ranked. And then you can kind of have like the CEO is tiebreaker uh, mm-hmm. or, you know, or a board or something like that. That is where it really helps. Uh, because sometimes you do need those hierarchical lines to kind of set some of those guidelines around decision making. And then you have to stick to it. Now, where some companies fail is they set like these five-year roadmaps. Now, if you are an engineering firm that's trying to launch someone to the moon, a five-year roadmap makes sense. If you are a software, uh, if if, you're, if your company builds software, going that far out, well, you're, you might discover uh, a new use case of your software that it's actually customers really enjoy that you might want to pivot. Uh, so thus, you've spent all this time making this roadmap. It doesn't make as much sense. Uh, So you need to at least be nimble. So you kind of have like six months where you're pretty sure the next, the rest of the year, some of this could change. We have a general idea of what's coming up. Mm -hmm. I think that is about like one year to 18 months out is often about as far as you can go before you're kind of in a land of unsure of what's what's happening. And so. Mm -hmm. That, that's that's the one caveat that I would throw out here is like sometimes people show up at companies or they get hired and they're like, here's my, you know, here's my three year plan. And I'm just kind of like, yo, we need to figure out what we're getting done in the next six to 12 months. Let's have a six to 12 month plan. Let's get that rock solid. And then we yeah. can accomplish that to prove if we're even able to do your three year plan.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because, you know, planning's fun, but when, you know, technology changes so quickly that you can't really do that for that far ahead. It does. It does. And, and if you, and if you
0: do not have these plans like that, I think really does lead to that to the burnout that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is. Uh, so clockwise actually did this uh, big benchmark report based off a bunch of our data. It was like they they crunched data from like one point five million meetings, like 80,000 engineering teams. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. But they were able to see like how much time was spent in these meetings. On meetings are a place where people go to discuss plans. Because you sometimes don't know what you're working on. And mm-hmm. if you have that more figured out in advance, you don't have to ha- have as many of these meetings where you're catching up, figuring out, okay, so what are we actually going to do this week? You can instead have a much longer plan. When you show up for the meeting, you know what folks are going to be working on. Instead of talking about what should we do, you're talking mm-hmm. about, well, how do we accomplish what we know we're going to do? Uh, and yeah, the the the, the uh, our our benchmark report kind of goes into a lot of this stuff, which is, wildly interesting, the large data set that just shows how folks can actually get work done.
1: Great. Yeah. Um, Those are all the questions that I have. And thank you so much for your insight. Uh, Is there anything else that you'd like to add as a key takeaway for our audience um, as to how to avoid overcomplication or what they could do with a product roadmap?
0: What I like to start conversations off when we're trying to figure out how to solve a technical problem, I will often say, What's the silliest way to solve it? Like, what's the, what, what is the dumbest way? And I, and I, I know some, like, sometimes that language isn't like the nicest to say, like, what's the dumbest way to solve this, Mm -hmm. but I'm referring to like dumbing it down. And sometimes they'll, people will think, and then they'll go, you know, we could do this and then I'll go, okay, well, what if we did do that? And then they'll go, well, I mean, that would work. And I'm like, okay, so now we have the simplest solution. Can we make it even more simple? And then sometimes mm-hmm. they'll think and they'll go, Well, you know, we could do, we could solve it this way. I'm like, okay, so now we've actually even found an even more simpler solution. And then I'm like, let's weigh the pros and cons. Why would it be bad if we did it that way? And I have sometimes been in meetings where people are like, well, it's kind of silly to solve it like that. I'm like, yeah, but does it lead to more maintenance? Does it lead to problems down the line? Is it cost prohibitive? Like, et cetera, et cetera. And if it's not, I'm like, okay, we've found our solution. It's simple, mm-hmm. it's easy. And now we don't have to waste the time thinking about the overly complex answer, which is probably going to require lots of documentation, training, setting up a bunch of expansive infrastructure. Instead, we came up with this incredibly simple solution. Uh, and also, sometimes before I'll even get to the software oriented solution, I sometimes ask, is there a person oriented solution? Like if, if we're trying to build software to solve a problem, it's like, well, is there a person or some process around how we're doing things as a company? We could change that instead of having to write software, we just change how we're doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I guess we could do that. I'm like, OK, well, now we don't even have to write software to solve the problem. So it's always trying to find the most simple solution you possibly can. You're never going to be mad about it. The only folks that end up getting mad are those who like I like I've said at ego-driven development. They sometimes just want to try out a new piece of technology so they can put it on their resume, which is great. But you can also just do that in your in your, you know, free time and build some cool open source project, but you know, at the at your job, make it simple. Everyone's going to love you. The the engineers who make stuff as simple as possible, people like working with those engineers. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a, as a person who's not exactly the most talented engineer in the world, most of my default solutions are pretty simple to begin with. <laughs> uh, and people are like, wow, I can't believe you solved it that way. And I'm like, yeah, and it works. And yeah. it's cheap. Right. So
1: <laughs> Great. Well, that looks like that's all the time we have today. Thank you again for coming on.
0: Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it.
1: And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in today. Be sure to check out all of our weekly episodes on your favorite podcast listening platform. Till next time, this has been What the Dev.